0: Welcome to the Heal Through Play podcast, where we explore healing through play. I'm your host, Lisa Dovgish, and I am a spiritual life coach, energy healer, light code activator, improviser, and self proclaimed meme lord. My goal with this podcast is to bring light, into the otherwise dark process of shadow work and healing by featuring guests from all walks of life who share their stories of healing mental, emotional, and even physical wounds through the magic of playfulness. Whether that be performing improv, creating art, doing yoga, choosing to be silly and lighthearted, or anything else in between. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very incredible guest who I'm just so excited to have on. Her name is Tony Naj and she is an actor, a comedian. She also has a really fun TikTok, which is how I found her. She does these really incredible videos where she talks about topics that can be kind of dense and she does them in this really fun way where she moves her body and just kind of moves through the words. And it's so incredible. I felt super inspired watching her. I've been following her for a little bit on TikTok and yeah I just reached out and was like hey would you want to do this and then after I reached out I found out that she also does acting and also has other projects so I was just even more lit up because obviously I'm an improviser so yeah I'm going to hand it over to you Tony and have you introduce yourself to us
1: yes and <laughs> an improviser I love improv I actually it's funny you mentioned that I had a to a retreat the other day. I know you, I'm not answering your question at all, but I went to this retreat the other day about comedy and trauma. And so we were trying to figure out how to make traumatic events comedic in our lives. And I always talk about how, if you want to talk about trauma in a comedy format, you have to have a scab over the wound. You know, it can't be like a fresh wound, like a fresh wound you could do in like a storytelling atmosphere. But I feel as if you wanted to do stand up or comedy around a personal trauma, you have had to have done some healing work around it and, you know, really kind of have that scab. So anyway, we were talking about all that and I then went outside with this person I had never met before in my entire life. And we were just, you know, kind of awkwardly outside, but we'd both smoked pot and I immediately got way too high to go back inside to deal with trauma or comedy. And I was like, oh my God, no, like, oops, I did not mean to do that. It was a big accident. But then he mentioned how he was an improviser. And I was like, oh yes. And, and then we just, Improved for the next two hours outside until like three in the morning, and it was so fun. It was like the deepest medicine I didn't know I needed. I had this the best time, so it's so funny when you can take imp- like when other improvisers can like meet each other in random moments and then just like play in that improv world for so long. Yeah. Long story. Yeah, I yeah. Love just, that. <laughs> no, just
0: thank you for me. sharing that. That's so beautiful because something I was talking about yesterday is that I love improv so much. And obviously this podcast has, for me, has been so incredible because I just hit my desk so loud. This podcast for me has been so incredible because I'm doing research through this on different ways to heal trauma through improv, through comedy, through just play playfulness. Right. And I was talking about it yesterday with a friend of mine, And I was just saying, I love improv so much. Part of the reason I love improv so much is because it literally takes you back to your roots regress isn't the right word. It's not the right word. There's a different word for it that's better that I can't think of right now, but it basically takes you back to when you're a kid and children don't need anything to play. They they don't even need sticks. Like All they need is their imagination. And that's what improv is for adults. It provides that space to just play, right? And so I love that you share that because that's totally something that's been on my mind as well.
1: Well, and you know, the funny thing is I actually... Maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience, but I had a really hard time playing as a kid and I had a really hard time tapping into imagination in this certain way that I saw other kids doing my brother. He was the type of kid who would pull, pick up a little toy airplane. And then he'd be like, and like go around the room with it. And I would just be watching him play. And I would just be like, I don't fucking get it. I didn't get it. I couldn't. I was such a existential kid. I don't know what was going on with me. I just really was too rooted in reality in a certain sense. And all these other kids were playing all the time. Like with my little ponies, I was like, I don't vibe with that. So the kids I tended to attract in that time were more physical kids, like jumping rope or swimming or jumping on a trampoline. Th- those were more the people I connected to more. And so there's this massive irony for me where I'm not even regressing. It's like my whole life is imagination, but it was an imagination (laughs) that I never even experienced. I was like a little old man. I was a crotchety old man as a child. And now that I'm older, (laughs) I create all these fantasy worlds. It's bizarro for me as a person. To think of that, because I was like, yeah, no, not playing as a kid. No, just like observing children. And I was like, what are these kids into? Like, what are they on? Probably why I started drugs so early to just like, I was trying to figure out what it was to be a kid because I just like did not get it.
0: Wow. That is so wild. I've never heard that before, but (laughs) it's funny. It's just
1: me. If anyone else relates to that, like super, hit me up. I maybe have to like do a video looking for the others out there who didn't know how to kid, who like just didn't know how to be a child.
0: Well, it's funny because I definitely see elements of that in myself. Like I, not fully, because I did definitely use my imagination, but I did grow up pretty pretty by myself. Sorry, my cat is yelling, guys. So do I need to kick you out? Is that what needs to happen? My cat is literally like the embodiment of, she's like a trigger for me. Like, she just like does shit. And I'm like, oh, you're a shadow. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm supposed to heal.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> These our things. animals are, are always our medicine. Oftentimes also animals will take on your physical ailment. It's mm, just kind of interesting, like whatever physical stuff you have. I have a friend who always had UTIs and then her cat started getting UTIs. Yeah. So they absorb a lot of our physical suffering as well.
0: Yeah. No, she she's an interesting one. I definitely she's like teaching me patience and just letting go of control because
1: <laughs> she's mm. a cat. Yeah. Why what's what sign Everything
0: are crazy. you? I'm
1: a Leo. Oh. Uh my son's
0: sign. Yeah.
1: Cool.
0: And then I'm a Capricorn moon and I'm a Sagittarius rising, rising
1: groovy. So
0: I don't know what the Sag rising does. Like I couldn't tell you, but I know my Capricorn moon pretty well, as far as different parts of myself and what that means.
1: Nice. (laughs) So yeah, as I, as I was saying about playing as a kid.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I did have definitely that element of imaginative play. Like I did play with my teddy bears and have little like soup parties. I don't know. I didn't do tea. I like had soup. I don't know. But I do see myself in that of the physicality because I think more of the way that I played, because I think I was also in my head a lot as a kid. And I think I've also always been kind of like existential. I think as, as long as I remember, I'm always like, have been seeking for the meaning of life <laughs> you know I'm like why are we here and I do remember like I would always I had rollerblades I rollerbladed all the time I would like hula hoop and I was like hyper independent I like was I rarely kept any friends like I don't have any friends from that time period from my childhood at all none so yeah it's it's funny because yeah that makes me reflect on like my own childhood and the way that I probably was different <laughs> than other kids too
1: Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned rollerblades because I was on roller skates. I always wore roller skates, you know, consistently I would come home from school and I'd put them on. And I think there is a thing about, there are kids who need excessive physical movement in order to be more emotionally stable or to process emotions. Cause I know when I was growing up, it was kind of like this crusade. I mean, probably it's actually still very much existing, but there was a crusade around ADD and ADHD. And there was a lot of diagnosis happening. And maybe this is a controversial subject, but I was on that track in the sense that my teacher was like, you have a learning disability because you are always moving and you are always asking questions and it's like I would, I would have a test, you know, and it would be like, add the numbers. And so I'd raise my hand and the teacher would come over and I'd be like, so you want me to add the numbers? And she'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And so, I mean, when I look back on that, I'm like, oh, I really wanted attention and connection. But like, maybe that's a learning disability. I don't know. But it's like, I wanted to connect with her. That's why I was always trying to talk to her. And I was always wanting to move. I also ate excessive amounts of candy, like so much candy, I had zero supervision. So I was always eating candy. When I got tested for the ADHD that I was being told I had, I remember um, one of the tests, you know, you're in this psychologist office, I was nine and there was a computer. And so you're doing all these things on a computer all fucking day, mind you. I'm like, oh, that's a great way to see if someone has like ADHD is to lock them in a room for nine hours in front of a computer. But the test I had, I remember this one, the, the best was there was a screen and every time a letter flashed on the screen, you pressed the space bar. But when it was the letter Z, you did not press the space bar. So I would like get into this like rhythm of pressing the space bar and then it would, the Z would come up and I would press it every single time. And then I'd be like, fuck, you know, I had a terrible language habit then too. I be like, oh, God damn it. And I got a 0% on that test. And so when my mother came, I remember the psychologist being like, yeah, not only does your daughter have ADHD, but like an appalling uh, swearing habit as well. And so they were recommending the drugs. And I remember really like being in the car with my mom and asking her, like, who would I be if I took these drugs? And what if I wanted to go off those drugs? Like, how would I then be like, where is the me with these drugs? And where is the me influenced by these drugs? And then who would I be without the drugs? And I remember like, just like so concerned about, um, my, I, I I want to say my soul, but it was also my identity with this influence. And so I was not into it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do it. And I remember the um, prescription that then my teacher gave me was like, well, then you have to move more. You have to go home and move all the Mm -hmm. time. So hence the roller skates and like this constant movement. And I will say that Excessive uh, movement really helped me to be more uh, focused and calm. Like I, I move a lot, you know, and I still do to this day.
0: Wow, I love hearing that because that totally explains the TikTok videos. That is totally your magic, right? So it's so fun hearing the background of it and kind of where where that. Comes from. So I'd love to know if there's anything you wanted to add based on what I said earlier about, you know, you being an actor, having a TikTok and doing comedy and all these things. There's anything else that you wanted to add?
1: Well, I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people, you know, whatever content creators, artistic creative types. You know, I've been at it for a very long time, very, very long time. And I think I just play with a variety of platforms and medias and, you know, extensions to express myself. Like that's my main motivation is to express myself. I think anyone that's doing what I'm doing has a semi delusional, grandiose idea that what they're saying has value, you know, so I definitely am living in that. Complexity, <laughs> you know, I could just like be quiet or like just talk to my friends or whatever, but I have this drive to broadcast myself, and that has been going on for a while. You know, I kind of was like coming of age a lot during the beginning of YouTube. And I've tried a lot of different iterations. Like I've been doing this for a very long time. I learned how to edit film um, many years ago. So I've done a lot of films. I've done a lot of short films. I've done a lot of sketch comedy, you know, and the TikTok world was something that I had a friend. So for TikTok specifically, I had a friend who really pushed me into that world, And it was a dead zone for me for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, you know, nothing. I would just put videos out there and it was crickets and I was focusing more on Instagram. So I wasn't necessarily engaging in TikTok as much either, but also I was in a weird algorithm. It took me a while. And I also think it took TikTok a minute to, and maybe the community, I am in a very groovy algorithm right now that I super enjoy but there was a while where I was like, everything I looked at, I was like, ah, like what? Like I don't, it's not speaking to me, but I did one video. It actually wasn't even a moving video. It was a video about the pandemic and it was just like a single facing thing. And for some reason that video got like 200,000 views or something, or which was a lot for me at the time where I was getting like hundreds. And then suddenly something just started happening in that world. And the dance videos. So basically, around that, I wanted to interpretive dance my feelings on things because I thought that was just a funny concept. And I am a dance teacher. And so I am talking a lot while I am teaching because people are forgetting what they're doing, or I'm reminding them to like drop in the tailbone or lift in your lower abs, or I'm constantly speaking while I'm teaching. So I have this practice of talking and dancing at the same time that I've been cultivating for years. So I think that there was an ease to it that because I've been putting in my 10,000 hours of practice, (laughs) you know, what it is to speak and dance at the same time. And so I just started making those videos. I mean, I think I made my first one two years ago or, you know, two and a half years ago, but it took, it was like one video in particular that I did about, the U.S. military and climate change. And that one got really picked up by conservative Reddit. And it's almost like the people that don't agree with you can broadcast you in a really interesting way, Even you know? though <laughs> because they're like hate watching you or they were mad at me or I don't know. But then there was like a whole other world of people watching it within this, you know, more conservative landscape that were interested or maybe not interested, but intrigued or tickled by it I'm not sure so then that started to have a and a like a what's that called like a momentum I kind of have to like thank the alt-right you know for helping build a momentum you know like namaste I appreciate it (laughs)
0: namaste to the (laughs) alt-right
1: yeah like (laughs) Yeah, those hate watches were really special and important to my brand. All PR is
0: good PR, right?
1: (laughs) And also, I mean, I do think there's something interesting about a bunch of people who don't agree with you having to be exposed to what you're saying, you know, because I actually don't think that many people, whether or not you're super pro-military, can disagree that the military-industrial complex has, like, a major environmental impact, you know, so... Once you hear that you can never unhear it and that's important. You know whether or not you agree or not you still heard it and there's something I think there's a lot of quantum learning that we do in the unconscious that's really valuable and important and like the ego doesn't necessarily have to concur for there to be medicinal therapeutic aspect to information dissemination. Yeah, I both positive and negative, you know. Yeah. I totally agree. I,
0: this is a concept I talk about all the time, especially with my clients, because I did manifestation mindset coaching for a year and now I'm switching. But one of the questions that I would often get is I'm so worried about my family, my friends, you know, I'm so different now. I think so differently going through my spiritual awakening than other people. And how do I just Get them to see what I see, to understand what I understand, and that would always oh, yeah. say, "Yeah, good luck with that." <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. And I would just say, just understand that by you being yourself, just living your life, that's planting seeds. So if it's within their path to then think like you, to go down the same path, then yeah, they'll they'll go down that because you are serving as what's the word that I'm looking for? You're serving as an example for them, right? Of, oh, well now like Lisa's life is so much better. She seems so much happier than she was a year ago. She seems like she's in her power and she's feeling confident. And I wonder why that is, right? And then they start to think and the wheels start to turn and they're like, well, maybe it's X, Y, Z, maybe it's this. And then they start to find whatever that truth is for themselves. It could be the same as yours. It could be completely different, right? But still you're planting seeds by going on this personal development journey and other people just being exposed to that, right? Like you're literally serving as this beacon of light. So I think that you're, you're certainly doing that. And that's incredible that you recognize that, right? And you're able to not just be like, oh, those fuckers, (laughs) right? that freaking out, right? Like all those hate comments. You can actually see that within that lens, which is just so incredible and speaks volumes to you know, the type of person you are and just how open-minded you are about things. So I love that. I want to ask you, this is a question that I have come up with that I have not used the entire time that I've done this podcast, but I want to ask you, I want to ask, what does play mean to you?
1: I think play is being so in the present moment that you abandon the judgment of the ego
0: I guess the experience you had recently with the improviser for two hours at the retreat Uh definitely serves as a testament to that.
1: Yeah. And I think that what was interesting about that moment is that he and I, we were, we had in on paper in that moment, we had very little in common. We were like totally different ages, like, you know, different we, but we connected on the desire that we both had to connect and to meld into the same playful reality. And, you know, it's funny. I've been, I was actually just talking about this, uh, in regards to my daughter who's 11 and, you know, she has a very, I think it's kind of unique for some kids, but I was definitely like this. Some people really enjoy merging With others. And when you merge, you kind of create a world around you or a reality around you in which almost nothing else matters. And it's like falling in love with a person in a moment. And it's not like a sexual falling in love, but an energetic falling in love where you're really listening and you're really present and they're really listening and they're really present and you're building and feeding off of each other in this way that's creating a momentum, like an apex or a vortex, an emotional orgasm of just pure connection. And you're really listening and they're really listening. And there is this feedback loop that happens. And I know that my daughter really craves that and seeks that in relationships. And not all kids like want to merge in that way. And not even all adults want to merge in that way. And I know for me personally, you know, a lot of the drugs and alcohol that I've done in my life has been around wanting to merge either with the self or with another in that kind of deep way where everything else melts away. It's like a spiritual oneness of the two, but without the sex.
0: (laughs) I totally understand what you mean. That makes perfect sense to me because I've done improv for technically, I guess, seven, six, seven years now. And then like officially uh, having taken classes for six or five years. And I totally understand what you mean. And you described it in like the best way possible, better than I could have ever thought of it. Like as you were speaking, I was like, yes, yes. Like every little thing, I was like feeling that connection, that merge. And side note, so funny. There's actually my favorite, one, one of my favorite improv games, which is like the most, the easiest one to play is Mind Melt. Oh yeah, yeah. Convergence. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. you said like that melting and like creating that reality where it's just the two people, oh my god, my cat. Do you see what I mean?
1: <laughs> like, I do. It's like, bro. It's almost like the, the cat is unashamed of its neediness.
0: Absolutely, she's no yeah. shame. I'm trying everything to get her not to do that, but let me. No,
1: I think what this is the medicine is for you to be unashamed about your needs.
0: You know, th- you're right. That's exactly what it is. Come on, well, come in. Come in. She's just sitting there. Come in. Stop meowing. Good Lord. Do you want to say hi? Say hello. This is Tony. Tony, this is <laughs> Moonlight.
1: Oh, Moonlight. I have a dog named Luna.
0: Hi. Are you <laughs> done? you so needy you just show extra can you go nap please okay she's just gonna be doing that that's fine but yeah I totally get what you mean with the with the merging and do you want me to hold you is that what you want I she wants to merge want. she <laughs> wants to merge she wants the connection but then she bites me and it's like I don't know what you want like <laughs> like I pet her I and like, she's like <laughs> I'm like what's the what's the issue I don't know what we want here. Yes, I like what you said about being unashamed about my needs. It's funny because that's totally something that I I went to a retreat. This is so side note, totally off topic from the podcast, but I'm loving this form of conversation. This is my favorite way of connecting with people, it's just like all over the place. And I went to this retreat and it was about relationships and Your love life and just like, you know, breakthroughs and that with my friend Rebecca Boatman, who also I just recorded for the podcast with last week. And something I realized is, and this is the first time I'm like publicly saying this, so this is a pretty vulnerable moment for me. But something I realized is polyamory is something that I've really been curious about and have wanted to just like incorporate in my life and learn more about the past few years, but it's always kind of just been put on the back burner. And then at the retreat, I re I had this breakthrough where I realized that that's something that I really want. But then on the other side of that, I also realized the shadow of it, which is that I'm also very afraid. And I have this limiting belief that by choosing to incorporate that in my life, I'm making life harder for myself, which is true in many ways because you know society is not built around being accepting of that but fascinating that you brought that up about moonlight and then that's something that's been on my mind because it totally is like me rejecting my own needs and being like well let me just do the easy thing it's like
1: well is it really the easy thing oh i will tell you 100 percent. i don't think either is the easy path and it's funny <laughs> the thing about monogamy is I do believe that in order to maintain monogamy, you have to circumcise a piece of your sexuality so you can exist in the world and be monogamous, which I think for some people has uh, its benefits, you know? And when you don't, like some people I know really enjoy monogamy because the you know, they want the other partner to be monogamous more than they want for themselves, you know? So they want the other partner's ultimate devotion. Maybe they don't want to be a hypocrite. So monogamy feels the the way to do it. I mean, there's so many different motivations for monogamy, but I think the thing that's interesting about polyamory is that you're opening yourself up to possibility and to love and to potential and to kind of limitless connection and I do think from a creative standpoint, that can be really enlivening. Although, of course, you know, the shadow side of that is it can be distracting, you know, so I think the thing that is a fun thing to play with around that is just to how to, you know, with everything, everything has its positive and, and it's negative or it's um, more beneficial and less beneficial aspects, right? So I would think the more beneficial aspect of polyamory is just like, just really like open-minded, open-hearted, excitement, you know, falling in love is so exciting. It's so kind of every time you go out, you're open to that. And you can, might you might have the security also of like a long-term partner that's, you know, you're both open and you have security in a way it's the best of both worlds. But I do see how that can be like uh, consuming as well. You know, you have to be pretty zen about it. You can't be greedy, but I think the person that, you know, isn't excessive about, you know, I think I'm like a, I can be really extreme. So an excessive person, you might be like (laughs) more easily distracted, but I support your poly uh, journey for sure. I think it's very groovy. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I love to hear it. I actually like that this is coming to the conversation. It's very divinely aligned because now that I think about it, there is a lot of play within I like what you were describing about the way that it opens up all these creative avenues. It's like very creatively, because when I think about it too, you know, so much art is created out of love wanting to, Yeah. yeah, it's like wanting to express love. You know, there's so many love songs and, and poems and plays and all these things that are based all around relationships. And so that's so interesting that that's, being brought up now because yeah, there is that like play within relationships. And then if we tie it back to improv, again, it's that merging, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like through polyamory, you're able to open yourself up to more opportunities of that merging happening.
1: Right. You don't have to be like, oh, I mean, when you're monogamous, you definitely have to put up a lot of like, I'm not fucking you (laughs) kind of, or I'm not having even like an emotional because I think the thing that's kind of also- inspiring about polyamory is that you could be maybe just purely emotionally polyamorous where you're just like open to really loving connections and whether or not you act on it physically is neither here nor there and I think a lot of times when people are in monogamous relationships especially if you're heterosexual you will shut off the other gender because you're just like ah, I can't handle the temptation and I think that's where a lot of of like uh, violence against women comes into play is because a lot of men in their effort to be monogamous to their wives, I'm talking more heterosexual because that's what I've experienced in, then they reject, they're like angry at women for turning them on. They, and they don't, they're like, they don't see them as humans. They see them as threats, like threats to their marriage or threats to their family or threats to their uh, being a good guy, right? You're like, you like Mike Pence, who's like, I can't have dinner with a woman, you know, ever Because he's so angry at women for titillating him sexually rather than, and then he feels like he's a shithead because he's like being, you know, not committed to his wife, you know? So I, I, I think that there is a major revolution around like love and connection that really could happen, especially in like the heterosexual world and healing the idea of, of genuine friendships between men and women. Because I do think that women are able to be emotional friends to men in this like super unique way. I mean, I've had so many boyfriends, partners who, whatever, and they're like, you're the only person I talk to And I'm like, what the fuck, you know, like you and like men so often, this is generalization. Obviously they so often talk about topics like shared topics, um, you know, sports or cards or cars or finances or the market. Like they talk about shared interests, but it's much more rare for men to talk about feelings, about their day, about processing uh, an emotional pain, where if my – literally, like, my best friend and I, we hang out twice a week, and, like, I'm like, okay, tell me everything that happened to you the since the last time we talked. Like, everything in real time, basically. And, like, my best friends were always – I know everything that's literally going on in their lives. Like, one of my best friends lives in California, and I had a friend over who she hadn't heard about, and she was like – furious she was like I've never heard of Karen like what the fuck you know and I was like she was talking to my daughter and like she was so funny she's like who the fuck is Karen you know and it was so funny like how I think women are of the practice of sharing their lives and their emotions and their pains and their traumas together. Men, generally speaking, obviously don't have that. So men being friends with women is like so groovy. And also what women gain from a male friendship, you know, not always talking about your fucking life and your problems and other shit, you know, maybe talking about some other shit. I don't know. I do think that there is this like the gender war to me is really rooted in, how men and women have a difficult time being friends.
0: Yeah. It makes me think of like the image that was coming to mind is like this flow. Cause I was thinking of like this universal flow of how women are very flowy. We're like water. And I was thinking about it in terms of then like, what is a man, right? A man is like the container to, to contain all of that flow and to create that foundation and stability for it. So then it can you know it's like the the bed the bed of the lake so then the lake can do its lake thing and i was thinking about as you were saying the gender war it's almost like the yin and yang just refusing to fit the way that they're supposed to <laughs> it's like we just like refuse like we have these two energies right and we just refuse to just be, like just come together in this way that you're meant to come together you are literally shaped <laughs>
1: to, to be come put together. together
0: this way And we just keep being
1: like, well, maybe this way,
0: maybe that way. And it's like, no, come together in love. This
1: way, in love. And I think the thing that to me is the most detrimental is the reputation that women have of being emotional and men have that being, that emotions are a female trait. Because the truth is, is I have, every guy I've ever been with is more emotional than I am. Like by so far, they, I think men have their mansies every other day. I have never been around a man that isn't going through a massive spectrum of emotions throughout the day, many more than I do. And I realized I'm like, oh, the difference is, is that women are socialized and conditioned to express a more nuance of emotion. And often also though, we are conditioned to express emotion, negative emotion or painful emotion through sadness, where men are more conditioned to express emotion through anger. So it's like if I were to look at my partner, he has two emotions, angry and not angry, right? But in truth, he's feeling complex spectrum of emotions from shame to guilt to boredom to sadness to existential dread and all of these things, but it all just comes out of the filter of anger because that's where he's been programmed to all, you know, express your emotion through this because sadness is unmasculine or shyness is unmasculine or whatever it is he's actually feeling. And so I do think the cultural myth is that women are more emotional. I think men are incredibly emotional. <laughs> like at least everyone I've ever fucked with, which is a impressive number. Haha, <laughs> Just kidding. Not really, but lots of emotions, lots of emotions. So it's funny. Like, I think to me, a deep healing comes from just men admitting, Hey, I'm a really emotional creature. And maybe I could start exploring the nuance of my emotion. So it doesn't all just look like mad or not mad or shut down or not shut down. I guess a lot of men shut down too. I don't attract the ones that shut down. I attract the other kind. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love what you're saying about that too, though, because then what that makes me think of is again, Another thing that I really love about improv, which is there's that endless opportunity to be whatever, right? And so through that lightheartedness, through like something that I have talked a lot about with improv is how it allows space for embodiment work. Like of mm-hmm. like different archetypes that live within us. And you can just bring those out and let them be there and embody them and, and let them flow through and out in whatever way they need to, instead of like being afraid. Right. And there's something about it coming out in that playful space where it's like, okay, it's a safe space and we know that we're here to just laugh, right? And we're yeah. here to just have fun. Then It's not as scary. Like, it's a very different environment to be like, okay, whatever you're feeling, whatever you have pent up, let's let it out in this improv scene. And it's a completely different thing of, okay, there's this issue that you have with your partner that now you have to have this deep conversation with and express all your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's like super intimidating. It's a very different setting. So, both serve a very similar purpose of allowing that embodiment to happen and allowing that flow to happen. But it's the context, right?
1: Well, yeah, I think art in general is a space for men to be their most vulnerable and their most feeling and still feel like men or like the socialized pressure of a man. I was listening. I'm like, I love uh, 90s hip hop. You know, It's, it's like my favorite kind of music or and I was listening to this Method Man song. You're all I need, and it was so like romantic and like vulnerable. And he was just, you know, he was just like it was a it was a love a love rap <laughs> to his woman. And it's funny; it's like those are the only contexts that you know men are able, or not the only, but one of the main contexts where men are able to like really express uh, tenderness that they don't usually have the outlet for. And then the irony is, is the persona that one has to create around being a rock star or being an actor or being, you know, a famous rapper doesn't often leave space for that vulnerability and for that tenderness. Yet the art can have this opening, you know? And so it's funny how there's an almost an overcompensating of bravado that happens because you're trying to, you know, it's like you do, you open your heart, you peel open your heart and then you're like, ah, but I'm still a dude, you know? And like, it's really, it's really kind of, a interesting duality and dichotomy that they have to, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting how like to overcompensate for writing a love song, you kind of like become this larger-than-life, you know, version of what masculinity is. I mean, I think of so many rock stars that then they're like, ah, but am lie, you know, <laughs> or like, it's like, okay, we get it, relax. Yeah,
0: I, I love that. I'm watching on Hulu right now the series about Pamela Lee and, and, and Tommy Lee, or Tommy, yeah. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, and I'm thinking of that character anyone who's watched that that show I think it's oh my God also Joe Rogan in that just oh it's so good just Lily James is in it and and Sebastian um, Sebastian Stan I think that's his last name so freaking good. that cast is stellar but otherwise it's also just what you're describing with like Tommy feeling inadequate because now he sees Pam you know her career starting to go off and she's kind of she's like the she's the straight man in the series like she's like the you know the person kind of keeping everything together and just like witnessing the insanity that is life and being like what the fuck is this you know and so I love that they did that with her character but yeah there's this interesting complexity to Tommy and I like the way that the director has structured the episodes because we see this one side of Tommy in the first episode through Randy, who is the guy that then released the sex tape and, you know, stole it and released it. And all we see is this like asshole rock star. And then the next episode in we start seeing this more complex side where it's like okay well when he's just with pam you know he can be like sensitive and and he's sad when she's sad it's like all these different things but then there's also this butting of heads with his other side where he's like yeah i have this beautiful relationship that's being developed but now i feel inadequate and i feel like my career is not where it needs to be you know where i want it to be and then it's like he like acts out in these ways of aggression when really he's just sad and just needs to fucking feel his feelings of yeah. shame and inadequacy. You know, it's like you just need to let yourself feel that. And instead he just goes and does dumb shit. So yeah, that, that just made me think of um, that show. You guys should check it out. It's, it's a great show. I love it. Um, yeah. There
1: is so much pressure on masculinity in this way that is oppressive. And I think that's the thing that the, I mean, the patriarchy was like a hip word for a while. People use it less, but that is, you know, patriarchal consequence that, and it affects men just as deeply as it affects women. Their pressure, so yeah. No, I don't, know. I don't sure. know why that's like a not obvious to everyone. That's confusing to me. It's why that's not clear? Yeah. Who knows? But I wanted to
0: ask you specifically, because it seems like this specific video, this TikTok video that you did, which I just adore. And that was the video that got me to be like, I, I need to invite her on the podcast because it's such a representation of the work that I'm doing and, and the medicine that I think the world needs right now and the medicine I think you're providing through what you're doing. In the way that you're doing it was the video with the therapist where you sit down with the therapist you sit down with the therapist okay so i want to describe it for people and you guys should go on on tony's tiktok and and she also has it on instagram so you can check it out on either one but it's this video where she goes in for a therapy session And she's like, yeah, I just feel like I have all these feelings inside of me that just need to come out. And the therapist, you know, starts going on his like rational, you know, studied approach. And you start moving in the ways that you do in your videos, right? Just like moving as you're talking and like, I'm just expressing the emotions through my body. And he kind of is like, can you please just sit down and relax? And then by the end of the video, she is in the chair of the therapist and he's moving in all these ways. And he's like, yeah, I guess that thing from my childhood did affect me. Like, And it's this whole reversal of roles. And yeah, what I love so much about that is one, like I said, it's like doing a lot of the work that I'm doing, which is bringing that element of play and, and that lightheartedness and that humor to healing, which I think is so important because I think for, for so long, we, and so many of us treat it as this very dense subject of like, I have to heal and I have to get better and trauma. And, you know, it's like, that's all valid. and, and, it's, it's all a perfect expression as well. But I think that with how dense and how seriously we take these things, it takes away from a lot of the other lessons that we could could be learning from it. Like you said, the retreat that you went to framing trauma in a comedic way, right? Where there's so much medicine and and so many lessons within doing that and that's not really a common approach in like a traditional you know therapy setting or sense like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of what's the word I'm looking for like socially accepted forms of therapy that are certified and seen as valid that incorporate that right yeah so I want to hear you yeah speak a little bit about that
1: I mean, especially in the Western world, there is a very, I think, narrow definition of what uh, traditional therapy is. And I think that comes from a lot of, you know, the Freudian institutional background and the medicalization of healing and therapy. But I, I did hear a really interesting talk once about this woman who was doing work with people who'd experienced genocide in Africa. And how these therapists went to the people that had experienced, you know, a type of violence and trauma you could never imagine living in the United States. And they were bringing them into rooms and wanting to to do the therapy and discuss. And uh, the people were perplexed. They were like, "Uh, we actually would rather be outside and dancing and singing and that is how we process our pain and our emotions. So having us be inside and talking in this manner is just not where we like to go. Thank you so much, um, we're gonna do something else. And it, it was so interesting and, and humbling, I think, for um, those therapists to go through that, thinking they were bringing this great value. And then the people kind of being like, we have another way of how we're going to process I never forgot that. And I think that there is something, you know, the thing about therapy, healing, therapeutic work is that it's not the person you're going to that's doing the healing. It's you that does the healing. You're in a space where a person is facilitating an opportunity for healing to take place, but It's even if you're, if even in Western, the Western world, if you take a medicine, your body still has to integrate the medicine. You know, if you go and you have surgery, your body still has to integrate the surgery. We are not passive recipients of healing where healing happens to us. We are the architects of our healing. We are the architects of our own therapy, And that's why experimentation, I think, is so crucial and important because it's the time you spend going that's value. Almost what you're doing, I'm not going to say it's insignificant or inconsequential, but it's really the time, I think, is a huge portion of it that isn't necessarily acknowledged in Western thinking, where there is a practitioner that fixes you. And I think that's where. I want to push back a little bit because I don't think anyone fixes you. I think they just like provide opportunities for you to fix yourself. And I remember I once went to Costa Rica because I'm a white girl and I was like looking for myself. Right. And there was a healer there and she had chronic fatigue syndrome. And so she was really tired and we were there for days and days. And she was like, I can't see you or deal with you. I'm tired. I have chronic fatigue. And I was fucking pissed at first. And I was like, what the fuck, you know, I'm here. And she's such a great healer. Wasn't she fucking heal herself, you know, going through all of this stuff where I was really like angry with her for not fixing me. And then I remember it was like, maybe day seven was the first time she ever kind of did me session with us. And she did this really actually amazing guided meditation that was so transformative and impactful. It was really worth all the seven days of not. And also the seven days of my anger and rage were actually the medicine I needed because I had this expectation of her to be the answer. I had this expectation of her to be the one that was gonna make me better. And by her not doing that, it was really, you know, quite powerful for me to recognize that. And also why did I have this expectation of her to be healed herself? You know, she can be a fully complex person dealing with her own, you know, emotional landscape and still have a lot of wisdom to share. You know, I think there is this kind of, um, you know, it's like doctors have as a lot of doctors. It's like, I am above, I am better. I am holier. And even like the whole concept of a guru or the whole concept of someone, you know, being a, above and therefore they are able to help below. It's like, nah, I think we're all like, eh, we're all just on a plane of existence. And you may have a skill that's valuable to someone else or that like brings you know, them a moment of clarity and you can share that skill, but that does not make you better or worse. Or we shouldn't have this expectation of healers to just be fixed because that's ridiculous. Like anyone that's in complete balance is dead. You know, that's what balance is, It's actually being dead. So we are all in a state of influx and imbalance until we're in the ground. So enjoy it. And let's stop putting the pressure on ourselves and on others to be so damn balanced and perfect because it's, it's actually life is not that.
0: Yeah. I'm breathing it in. Cause I needed to hear that. Yay. I think the most of the world, most of this community, I think the spiritual ego is very real and you know, I know for a fact it's very real and yeah, there is this like constant striving to I have to be perfect. I have to, you know, be a certain way to provide medicine and to provide value to people's lives. And it's like you're literally standing in your own way, which is literally what I'm doing. (laughs) Cause that that's definitely something I'm working on. My best friend and I have had like very in-depth conversations about this because we both struggle with it. And we actually had like a two and a half hour conversation just around this the other day. So that's so lovely that you said that cuz it feels like spirit just coming through and being like you got to hear this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when that happens. Yeah. yeah. I do too. Yeah, wow. There's so many beautiful things in that that you shared. I love the the, <laughs> the the stubbornness of of the west. And then the where where was it that you said that they were that the therapists were?
1: I think Rwanda
0: Rwanda. Okay. Yeah. And then the mm-hmm. Rwandans just being like, yeah, we're just going to go dance. <laughs> outside. We're going to yeah, we, sing outside. Yeah. <laughs> we wanna, that's going to help us, you know? Yeah. I think there is this big, it is, it makes me think of that image again of the yin and yang of like these different worlds and ways of being and that we just refuse to like bring together in love and we keep pushing back on each other being like, this is how it has to be more. So the white side, most more. So us coming and being like, this is how you should be. You know, I think well, they're yeah, just kind the, of being and doing their thing.
1: <laughs> I think colonizers really had to be in their head because to colonize people, you had to be making a decision from the brain because the body knows that that is not correct. Right. Wow. The body cannot handle the pain that you would cause by being a colonizer. So the head has to justify that behavior and that type of violence and that unjust action. So I think that for Western white colonizers, we have been programmed and conditioned to live in the mind because the mind has to explain the evil because the body would not be able to live with it. And so that's why I think there's such a disconnect. And so, especially as a, you know, white person to return to the body and to have to process the pain of what white privilege and white ancestors have done, that's step one.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's profound. I love that. That's
1: amazing. I just thought of that. Yeah. You so channeled really it. Correct. Yeah, You channeled
0: it. It was a message from spirit. I love it.
1: There's yeah. so
0: many <laughs> pieces to this that are so incredible. Yeah. There was something else that I wanted to share that totally escaped my mind, but must have not been important. So, you know, who cares? Let me see if there was anything else that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I want to know, obviously you're very playful now, and I want to know, I know that you've had a past with. I don't know if you would say you've ever had pro- problems with addiction, but the path of getting to where you are now, which is, you know, this very playful free spirit, which is the energy that I get from you. What was that like?
1: Or were you always this way? I think I have had a life full of emotional complexity yeah <laughs> like no I've always been a certain I've always had a certain joy I think and an interest in being alive and uh, I guess a a desire for life you know like a, a fearlessness around taking risks and taking uh, chances with people and with situations but I am a pretty like extreme codependent people pleaser as well. So that has led me astray many, 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 many times continues to regardless of how much I work on it. I think I'll be where I think I'll be literally on my deathbed being like, no nurse, you know, like you have the last apple. Like I, it's my life journey. So I think that for me, the main saving grace in my life. I also had a, a, the death of my best friend, which was such an intense sorrow. I was uh, 20 and we were very, very close. I mean, we had completely merged into one person and that was what brought me onto a more spiritual path because I had to connect to her and she became my God source in a way, because I did not want to give up on the friendship or the, um, the deep love and connection I had to her. So that was what eventually led me to meditation. Also a lot of like health problems led me to meditation. And I think, you know, I've done a couple of silent meditation retreats of a Chinese Buddhist practice called Chan Buddhism, which is mantra-based. So I think like for me personally, it's not like my life is that awesome. I just... Think I've worked a lot on practicing letting things pass, you know, <laughs> like pass through me. And I really, really work on not victimizing myself in any circumstance I'm in, even if I feel someone did me really dirty. I really try to a, have compassion on about what they were going through and what I was bringing up for them and how I participated. And I always look at my life as I am the designer. I am the head designer of my life. And so really, you know, no one else is to blame, not my parents, not society, not culture, not my partner, not anyone. I am living in this human body called Tony. And what am I going to do with it? I'm going to take responsibility for everything that happens because that way I can learn and grow and develop from it. Even though some like really fucked up, fucked up shit happened to me that technically, well, it's not like I asked for it or did it to myself, but I don't know. So I think, I think I also have a deep shadow side and I have a lot of sadness and depression and I let that be, you know, I, I do play in those waters and I have a very nihilistic worldview at times where I'm like, what is the point? And I play with those feelings. Like I let them be and I will, you know, it's funny the other day I was crying and I don't cry very often. And my friend made me, or my friend didn't make me cry. I cried in relationship to a conversation I was having with a friend and she had to go. And then I was crying and I was like, oh, I never have access to my tears. I'll just make a video real quick. You know, i <laughs> just like, so ridiculous. I wasn't crying to a point of like deepest, my deepest sorrow. I was exploiting a moment of sensitivity for an audience, but I was also genuinely feeling sad, but I had this kind of feeling that life is content and life is art and me expressing my life and my content is like an artistic creative moment. And any story that happens to me, I can bring it into stand-up or I can bring it into sketch or I can bring it into some video I make. So I think that lightens the mood for me because I actually am pretty sad. Yeah. So, So if I make art with it, it makes me face it. Like I am sad and that's okay. I am sad and I make art. For sure, yeah, and I think you're yeah. totally
0: alchemizing it too that way, right? Like you're able to transmute it and allow it to pass through through that avenue, which is beautiful.
1: yeah, yeah, I think I think I really try. and that's where the internet has been a great gift because it's like kind of an automatic outlet, you know, And then I made that video, and I actually felt a lot better after I made that video and I put it out there. and you know, strangers were so kind and you know, it's funny the kindness of strangers is where the internet really shines. And I know we can also say the opposite, but there is so much kindness also and so much love being shared and so much support from strangers that, you know, the the hater, the trolling or whatever, it's insignificant. It's, it doesn't even, I, I have to say it barely touches me because the love has been so much more interesting to play with, you know? And people have been really loving, I'm so grateful for that. Like, so grateful. I can't even say.
0: Yeah, and you deserve it. I mean, you're totally embodied. You're in your magic. You're doing this incredible thing. And something that I did want to say that I forgot to mention earlier is the TikTok videos that you make, so many of the comments on those videos, the movement videos where you're talking, so many people comment saying i have adhd and this is the longest i've been able to focus on a topic like this like i wish i would learn everything this way which is that's huge that's amazing that you're able to offer that for people right who maybe their whole lives have struggled and are like i i you know it's so hard for me to keep up and and understand these topics that i really want to know more about and be more conscious about And like, here's this avenue that I can learn about it in where I don't have to try, I can just receive. And that's just so incredible that you get to provide that for people and offer that to people.
1: Yeah, those comments always mean so much to me. They really do. I mean, it's funny, people's comments mean a lot. I'm always so... It's like, especially with Instagram where you kind of can, I don't, I try every time I can, I respond or I leave a heart or I leave an emoji or something. Like I do spend a lot of my time trying to show that gratitude and appreciation for people just taking that time to say something kind. Yeah. It's really, yeah. it's really nice. I really, I can't, I, yeah, I really, it really means a lot.
0: Yeah. And it's cause you're in your magic, like you're doing what you're meant to be doing and you are, you're just this fluid flowy person, which is amazing and beautiful. We're over time, which is perfect. Um, I want to ask you one last question, which is if you were to have one message for our listeners today, what would it be?
1: Don't take life so seriously. Perfect. I love
0: it. Awesome. Okay, well, Tony, why don't you let people know where they can find you, if you have any projects, anything you want to promote?
1: Sure. Um, my Instagram is at Tony Naj, T-O-N-I-N-A-G-Y. My TikTok is at tony.naj, so T-O-N-I dot N-A-G-Y. I also have a um, website called Cave Light Productions, which has a lot of my old sketch comedy, if you want to check that out. And I have a blog that I used to write called Tony Baloney, B-O-L-O-G-N A, like the Oscarmeyer.com. That was I wrote and there's, you know, thousands of pages of content if you want to get to know me better on that. So TonyBaloney.com is a journey into my written mind. Yeah.
0: Yay. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a joy and such a fun conversation. I've definitely felt the flow. Yay. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yay. Okay. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Heal Through Play podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review and feel free to share your thoughts with me through an Instagram DM. I'd love to hear about how this episode resonated with you. Also, please check the show notes for links on how you can connect with me and the guest of today's podcast. There's also a link for a form you can fill out if you'd like to be featured on the podcast and share your stories of healing through the energy of playfulness. I also have incredible offerings for psychic readings, energy healing sessions, and light code activations. So if you're feeling called to do healing work with me one-on-one, then please send me a DM or a voice note on Instagram at Lisa Dovkish so we can dive into it together and see what kind of magic we can create in your life. And I also post some pretty dank memes, so whether you're interested in healing or just laughing your ass off, join the Instagram community. Again, thank you for tuning into this episode, and I can't wait to connect with you. Until next time!